Welcome back, back to, to This, this Week in Film. film. I'm trying it's to the audit. weekly <laughs> podcast where we talk about the movies we've seen over, over the, the past seven days. I'm Nick Bonato, joined as always by Midwest, Midwest Matt Lauer. Matt, how's it going? Uh, strangely, I guess. It's going yeah. all right. Uh, that was hard to get to through with start. someone talking. Isn't it? Is it? How's yeah, how, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm a little under the weather, but hey, oh, sorry just to hear great. That. I, I feel it's, better. A, it's a weekly thing. I read a thing on the internet recently that said, I used to think I had an amazing immune system, but that was before I had little people who lived in my house who would cough directly into my mouth. So there you go. That's what having kids is like. <laughs> Puts it to the test, huh? <laughs> yeah, you lose. <laughs> Matt, I assume you have seen some movies. I have, you assume correctly. I've seen three movies. Oh, God. <laughs> I take it you've seen quite a few movies yourself. Uh, How many have you seen? I have also seen three. All right. It's well, be if one it helps. Of those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> if it helps, one of the movies I saw, I'm going to have very little to, t- to say about. Okay. Should I be... also will have a, have a similar thing, so... Okay. No, let's keep the people in suspense a little longer. Well, they will probably read the title, so cool, let's do that. <laughs> hey, Matt, what did you see in film this week? <laughs> oh, you switched it up again. Yeah, um, I changed it immediately. I saw Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Oh, comma, The Grudge. The new one? Yes. Oh. Comma, and a movie called Velocipaster. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it looks is that about this, this is very okay. this is very much in your future. Trust me. Let me see if I can guess. The, the movie could either be about two things. It's about a priest who becomes a dinosaur, or a dinosaur who is a priest. It's the first. <laughs> he becomes a dinosaur. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I've sold the movies that I have seen this week. Yeah, include a documentary from 2019 called "Tell Me Who I Am." A another movie from 2019 called Joker. Oh. And a movie from 1973 called Robin Hood. Boy, you're just going to see everything that has Robin Hood's name in it at some This point. is the last one. Is it really? It's, well, I, I've never seen any of the Errol Flynn Robin Hoods from like the 40s or 30s, and I don't think I will. I was going to say, it sounds like so, you don't intend to. After this one, there's nowhere else to go. And with that, why don't I begin, and I will start with the documentary I just mentioned called Tell Me Who I Am. All right. This is a Netflix documentary, and you haven't seen this yet, right? No, no, I actually don't know even know about it. Okay, so I will not get in very deep on this because it's seeing it- spoil. It's, it's hard not to spoil, and to spoil it would be... And what's messed up about it, the fact that you could spoil something like this, where you're like, oh, that's the spoiler. But that is why we watch the documentaries, because we, we want to find out the story of these guys. Okay. So, basically, this is the story of... There are these two twins from England, Alex and Marcus, and one of them, when they're like 18 is in a very serious motorcycle accident and he is in a coma and he comes out of the coma and he has lost his entire memory except that his twin brother 
is his brother. And hmm. long story short, his twin brother has to teach him everything. He doesn't even recognize his mother or his father, where they live, who he is, and all that stuff. So all he knows is that, hey, you're my brother, and I know you. And he also can speak English, but like he doesn't know how to tie his shoes and anything. So his brother has to show him how to do everything. And for the first 20, yes? Is it is it just that he has forgotten everything and how to do everything or is his ability to function also directly impaired it just seems like amnesia okay he, he seems to be fully functional uh-huh. in in every traditional sense of the word but it just seems like he lost like whatever brain injury he suffered affected his memory his his okay. long-term memory so that it was just wiped clean he doesn't have and to relearn how to talk no he can okay. talk, but he doesn't know anything. He's like a blank slate. Okay. So his brother has to show him everything. And for about the first 25 minutes of this movie, you're like, oh, this is pretty interesting. Blah, blah, blah. And then the twist happens hmm. where everything changes. And basically, uh, I, I don't want to give it away, but like, it's if you had the opportunity to forget something traumatic or someone could prevent you from knowing about something traumatic, would you do that? Okay, so it and, raises sort of a moral question. Yes, and that's really about as deep as I'm going to get into it without you seeing it. After you see okay. it, we'll be able to talk about it a little bit more. But it, the twist is quite a twist. Like, you're you're watching these guys, and like he goes back to their house in, in England or whatever, and you're like, okay, everything seems pretty normal. And then you're like, why do they sleep in a shed? And and guy whose memory has been wiped doesn't know any better, and he's like, well, I guess this is just what everyone does. And you're like, uh-oh. Huh. Oh, no. Okay. And you're like... Yeah. So I have some guesses here. I just don't respond. <laughs> just don't respond to any of them. Uh-huh. Um, so one guess is he's actually the other brother. And the second guess is that if there even was a car accident, the guy who has amnesia killed a bunch of people in the accident. And they are keeping him from finding that out. The third one is it's the movie The Village, but in real life. And... <laughs> And the fourth one is aliens. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. None of those are remotely close. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. You can respond. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty dark, which I'm is intrigued. why after you watch it, you'll be like, oh, that's a weird thing to be excited about. But it's it's interesting storytelling. The only real complaint that I kind of have about it mm-hmm. is I like the way it was shot. Like, it's it's got an interesting look, but also these guys had previously written a book about their experience and this is kind of the follow-up to the book because there are a bunch of unanswered questions i guess in the book because the one brother refused to talk about certain things and this movie is supposed to be like he finally comes clean and it just seems a little tacky or um like a little self-serving or something i I guess maybe not bias but are you only doing this because there are cameras around kind of a thing like because oh, okay. you, you, you're gonna make money from the documentary which 
it's a crazy story and they deserve the money from from their book sales and the documentary or whatever they got. And I guess that's the a problem that I would have with any kind of documentary on a, on a subject like this is the exploitation of yourself, your emotional trauma for your own personal gain. Mm-hmm. You feel uncomfortable watching this movie, which is the goal of the movie. But, but, you but are. I don't <laughs> Yeah, but like you're you're uncomfortable and you're also like, why are you doing this to yourself? Hmm. Couldn't you just do this privately? But, you know, I get it. But at the same time, I don't. It's, uh, I guess, a catch-22 kind of thing where if they had talked about what they talk about in the movie privately, then it would not have the resonance that it has in the movie. Okay. I guess from a, it's it's a very voyeuristic kind of experience where you're repulsed by everything that happens in this movie, but at the same time you're like I can't wait to find out what happened to this guy. Hmm. And then when you find out you're like, "Oh, Jesus. How long is it?" It's not even an hour and a half. Okay. I would recommend checking it out. It's it's quite good. It is very dark and i didn't know anything about it going into it i just knew that there was a twist and i just kind of had it on with my kids in the room Uh and it's it's pretty family friendly for like those first 25 minutes and then there's a change Uh (laughs) it's like well (laughs) hey who wants to watch robin hood (laughs) (laughs) well uh Listeners, yeah. stay tuned for next week. We might do a spoiler review of this movie because I'm pretty intrigued and would love to be able to find out what's going on and, and give you a chance to talk about it more freely. Yeah. And, and actually, after you watch it, I'm not sure I would have all that much more to say about it, but it would be okay. interesting to, to hear what you have to say about it because you're a doctor of the mind. Well, and I also have amnesia, so... <laughs> that's true yeah yeah i forgot about i don't know that, that i don't <laughs> oh nick has amnesia too <laughs> amnesia jokes people anyway <laughs> i don't know that i'll have much to add because my amnesia is not like a full thing according to soap operas it happens all the time oh oh yeah i mean this is a debate <laughs> between scientists and soap opera writers they're the, always in it they're always in debate with each other and speaking of twins holy cow <laughs> There are tons of those. And you can add something about that because you have twins. I do. It's a very personalized episode of this week. One of them is always evil. (laughs) Do you know which one it is yet? Of uh, my twins? Yeah. It changes day by day, I think. Oh, interesting. I don't think they've truly settled into their roles. By the time you figure it out. It'll be too late. Well, and it'll be the other one. (laughs) That's how the soap operas work. Yeah, that's why I thought the guy finds out that he's the other brother. It's a shame that they're girls because it'd be easy to spot the one with the goatee. Oh yeah, or well, or a scar, but maybe that. Happens oh yeah, the scar. Later. Yeah, that right. Interesting. I'll keep a lookout for that. Yeah. Well, that was Twin Quarter <laughs> <laughs> this week in something. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, would you like to discuss one of your movies? Yeah, sure. Why not? So Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. This is the one that I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about. Oh. Have you ever seen this? I have not. Okay. This, this fell under that same time period as Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, it, a little bit earlier, I think. Like maybe just a maybe year or two. This was also that, based on a book, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the title kind of says what this is. Plot-wise, Abraham Lincoln, well, his parents are killed by a vampire. Or at least his mom is. This isn't a very memorable movie. But anyway, so he wants to get some 
revenge. And yeah, actually, he doesn't even know that it's a vampire at first. So he goes to to confront this dude. Oh, yeah, no, no. It kills his mom. And he makes a promise to his dad not to do anything stupid or seek revenge. And then later, his dad finally passes away. And then he's like, I'm going to take this guy down. So he goes to confront the dude. And to his surprise, the guy's a vampire. No. Um, yeah. Fortunately, is someone... This in Illinois? Yes. Yes, it is. Does he uh, grow up in a log cabin? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I just... That's about everything I know about young Abe Lincoln. It's it's not out in the middle of the woods on their own. It's pretty close to a small town. And, and it's... I, I, I think it's Springfield, but... It doesn't really matter. The uh, point is, there's more a of a Shelby place. Town. Yeah, there's a place nearby for him to confront this guy when he needs to. When he does, he finds out that the guy's a vampire, and someone intervenes. And then the guy that intervenes ends up being a vampire hunter who's like, "Hey, let me teach you the ropes of being like a, a vampire a van- hunter." Like a Van Helsing guy? Yeah, something like that. There's a twist that you'll see coming when you're watching the movie, but I won't spoil it here. And throughout the movie, Abraham Lincoln gets into being a vampire hunter. He meets his wife, who originally is engaged to Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk's in this movie? Barely. And this plot point just seems completely unnecessary. It's just, you think it's going to come back in some way, and I kind of looked forward to seeing something happen. Because the the movie doesn't actually have much plot or, like, rising action or anything. It's just sort of like nothing's happening, and then they hunt vampires, and then at the same time, not much is happening. It's, It's weird. There's nothing really to be invested in. And so I'm like, when is this Alan Tudyk character going to come back and like, I don't know, be a vampire or challenge Abraham Lincoln to some sort of fight, you know, or be pissed off that he stole his fiance and he never does. I think he appears at a point later in the movie, but he doesn't do anything like it's it's never important. I mean, I'm guessing the writer just was like, happen to know some trivia that Abraham Lincoln stole his wife from somebody else. So it's there for that reason but it has nothing to offer the the plot and really there's just like i said there's not not much plot there's not much rising action or drama does this take place before he's president yeah well and that's what i was gonna say like at some point he becomes president and it's almost like like the transition of that is strange it's almost like the whole vampire hunting thing just sort of fades out like he's like i'm, I'm gonna put my vampire hunting equipment away now and it's not very dramatic either mm-hmm. it's weird there's ridiculousness in this movie and the, the i mean the movie's super self-aware in terms of just being very tongue-in-cheek the ridiculousness of it is funny like there are definitely jokes that make you laugh but it's one of those things that it it feels like it's longer than it needs to be Mm -hmm. i don't think it actually is longer than like an hour and a half but it's got maybe an hour's worth of movie to be funny if you were curious about this movie at all thinking oh you know it might be pretty funny i'd say check it out if it's something that you you know you got something out you're looking for ridiculous humor and you have something else you might watch spoiler alert for the rest of the episode (laughs) then watch the other thing instead but 
but if you if you were interested, I don't think you'd be like too disappointed. It, it, it falls kind of in the middle. It's not super hilarious, and it's not like ugh, I wish I just didn't have I, I hadn't watched that. Does it kind of fall into what I was saying about? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, where it succeeds when you forget that there are zombies in it. Does this movie feel like the Spielberg Lincoln at all? And then, oh yeah, he fights vampires. No, no. There's nothing else for you to get invested in. You can't like get lost in the drama story or anything and be like, oh yeah, these relationships between these people. I kind of want to see where this is going. Oh yeah, that's right. Vampires. It's like, no, no, no. Get back to the vampire hunting stuff because that's where it's got the ridiculousness there's a fight at some point where abraham lincoln is jumping from horse to horse <laughs> like he's uh-huh. like like as though they're stones in a river and that's the sort of stuff where you're like okay this is so over the top it's it's pretty funny so yeah it's it's kind of the opposite okay yeah that's disappointing okay yeah that's one of those movies that i'll probably watch one day yeah i'd say don't watch it alone right and that's it Okay. Unless unless you got other questions, there's not much more for me to say about it. It's just because there's not much else for it to offer other than just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, the one thing I was trying to think of is I feel like in the trailer, he uses an axe a lot. Yes. And I'm trying to remember if it's Abe Lincoln or George Washington who chops down a cherry tree and cannot tell a lie. I think that's Abraham Lincoln, you know, honest Abe. Right. What did George Washington do? He had wooden teeth. Oh, made from Abe Lincoln's tree, of course. Uh, Yeah, that's how that works. (laughs) All right, that's all I got for that then. (laughs) All right. So the second movie that I will discuss is from 1973. It is Robin Hood, Walt Disney's Robin Hood, the animated movie where Robin Hood is a cool-ass fox. And this movie is great. This, This movie is just great. It's really 70s heavy, which gets annoying to me. I kind of can't stand that stuff. It's it's like where Tom and Jerry got really into the 70s, and you're like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Why are they talking? But this movie is very good. And while I was watching it, I understood why it succeeded. First of all, it is directed by a guy named Wolfgang Reitherman, and it stars a bunch of voice actors who I'm sure were quite famous in their time. Um, basically this tells the story of Robin Hood, a thief who robs from the rich and gives to the poor. And it's a concept so simple that you can't believe that they've screwed it up so many times because this movie nails it. It nails it from the word go where it's just Robin Hood and little John, their best friends. The song literally says Robin Hood and little John walking through the forest and they're just having a good time. And then they see Prince John who is this cowardly lion kind of guy and they see his royal procession going by and they're like we're gonna rob the shit out of him and so like they do they just rob him and the prince is stupid he's got like a henchman who's a snake who's like smart but he's afraid to say anything and they rob this prince blind the prince gets mad robin hood runs away and lives to fight another day and it's great they establish how evil this villain is they establish how good of a guy robin hood is right away how cool his best friend little john is who i believe is baloo the bear from the jungle book and they just establish all of these character traits 
in the first five minutes of the movie so seamlessly and so effortlessly and there's no bullshit about robin hood's comeback to nottingham after fighting in the crusades and he's lost his castle to the prince john and now he has to take revenge on him it's just he's just a thief who lives in the woods and he doesn't like the way the prince is overtaxing the people so he's just going to take the money that he taxes and give it back to them and that is literally the plot of the movie is every time robin hood steals from prince john prince john gets pissed off and raises the taxes the sheriff of nottingham goes around and is just a dick and collects he collects the taxes from everybody including children there's this one kid who it's his birthday and he gets like a farthing which is some sort of british coin i guess and he just takes it from him and he's like the prince thanks you for your contribution and wishes you a happy birthday and then he leaves <laughs> it's it's so cold-blooded and cruel and perfectly executed and then robin hood comes in immediately after and he's like hey kid here's my hat and a bow and arrow this is the best birthday ever isn't it? and the kid's like it sure is robin hood i love you and robin hood's like i know baby and he's like all right i'm off to my next adventure his next adventure is just literally to go get the money the sheriff collected and give it back to everybody and it just goes on the movie the movie is perfect it's a classic disney style i was reading some of the trivia on it and apparently it was supposed to originally be a western which is why many of the characters have old style western voices but i think it all works it all works great because they're all like classic Disney voices. Like you've heard them all a million times in, mm. in other movies. Oh, the other thing is they established the Maid Marian character quick and easy. They established that she loves Robin Hood and that she's kind hearted and that she doesn't like the prince in three lines where the kid who gets the bow and arrow accidentally shoots an arrow into the courtyard of the castle where Maid Marian lives. And she's playing badminton with this large bird lady and kid goes to get the arrow and he gets caught and maid marion's like oh it's fine oh, who are all your friends and they all come out and then they just play together briefly and then she's like oh i wish robin hood would rescue all of us and that's it and that's all you need it's so simply but elegantly done you literally cannot believe that there are three other robin hood movies that i watched this year that get it so wrong, so brutally wrong, and try to overcomplicate a simple plot that should be like just a timeless thing and how backwards and terrible it can it can get. So if you haven't seen Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood from 73, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's quite good. It's barely an hour and 20 minutes long. Some of the songs aren't great, and some of them are really 70s-ish, where you're like, all right, let's let's go. But none of the songs go on for too long, so you're like, okay. And then the movie's over, and you're like, I enjoyed that. Kids liked it. I don't know if I have ever have seen it. So she knows Robin Hood before he becomes a criminal? Yes. They, apparently, the, uh, she grew up in Nottingham, uh-huh. and then left for a while, and has now come back for reasons they don't get into to at all she's just back and she's like oh i loved robin hood but he's probably forgotten all about me and then they quickly establish no he hasn't he loves her more than ever now i'm assuming his name wasn't robin hood before he started 
stealing from people. I think it is. Oh, so yeah, his, so he, like he's he, he's not really in disguise or anything. It's like, hey, this guy that you knew is now robbing people. You yeah, already just, know who it is and everything. It's it's not. He's in. Everyone knows who Robin Hood is. He's okay. this outlaw who lives out in the woods. Okay, so he's um, always been an outlaw. At least since Prince John took over, which has been a while because King Richard is off fighting the Crusades. And so Robin Hood doesn't care for the way things are going, I guess, and just becomes like an anti-hero kind of a thing, or an actual hero. They don't get into anything like Robin fought in the Crusades with King Richard. They don't get into the Morgan Freeman or Jamie Foxx character from the other robin hood movies which mm-hmm. i don't have a problem with in this movie because it, it wouldn't really it, like how did he get this friend from the middle east without going to the middle east so you understand why that character is not in it even though i know like from the stories that character is in it but like the things that they eliminate from the story make sense why they're not in it mm-hmm. and you're just along for the ride and it's it's brief and it's well executed hey you were saying your, your, your kids really enjoyed it they did they really enjoyed it it's the perfect length and there's a lot of action. And you were talking about, does he get disguised? They are constantly in disguises. <laughs> it's They're always putting on different clothes and no one recognizes them. It's ridiculous. Uh, Robin Hood just walks around the town of Nottingham as a blind beggar. And that's how he gets his information. But all the townspeople know that it's him, mm-hmm. but the sheriff doesn't. So he just makes his way around town. And it's great. He's just like this superhero that lives in this town where people are miserable and they love him. Okay. I will check it out sometime. Yeah, it's it's, it's something I've, I it, within recent years I've seen pop up on like the Netflix list or something and gone. Oh, no, you want to watch that? But nobody ever does. <laughs> so Mm-mm, no, I'll have to watch it on my own. Yeah, like there's a lot all thirty-eight-year-old men. There's a lot of nostalgia involved in it too because it's a movie that I grew up with. So you're yeah. you're watching it and you and you remember it too. So it, maybe it won't hold up if you're watching it for the first time. But mm-hmm. it had been quite a long time since. I I've seen it so or seen it in its entirety and I was like this is great especially after all the horribleness that I've gone through with other Robin Hoods oh I thought you meant like in life no 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 <laughs> I, I've led a fairly charmed life <laughs> a refreshing return to childhood except, before the, except darkness. For the Robin Hoods before the darkness of Robin's hood <laughs> I imagine getting to watch your kids watch it has a certain kind of I don't know crossover nostalgia or something too where you can see them experiencing it yeah and they were laughing at at the parts that i was laughing at too so that was that was fun that's it just shows you like timeless kind of humor do you enjoy watching movies that you saw as a kid with your kids more or differently than watching new movies with them i wouldn't say more i would say that i watch them differently where i'm kind of watching them to see how they react to it Mm -hmm. where i'm more interested in isn't that great? It's like when you're, have you ever like listening to a comedy album with someone who hasn't listened to it yet, but you have, and you're just like, here comes a funny part. <laughs> you're like watching the room with somebody. Yeah. You're, you're watching them to see how they react to it. Uh-huh. But I don't know. It's interesting because I'm watching, for instance, this Robin Hood movie, like I said, with the nostalgia factor, because I've seen it many times in the past, and this is their first time watching it. And little kids, when they watch something, they like they like the familiar. So anything new is a treacherous road. For a while, my son, anything new, he would go, this is scary, and would like run away. And you're like, they're, they're singing a song. But like, it's just because he doesn't or he didn't know what to expect. 
it wasn't something he'd seen 10 times already. So uh-huh. anything new is scary. Watching this with my kids, they never had any of those moments where they're like, oh no, I'm scared. They were just kind of like along for the ride. And there's some pretty treacherous moments in it. At one point you think Robin Hood gets shot in the head with a, with an arrow wow. and you're like, oh, well, that's sad. And then uh, then the movie continues, but but they were never like upset or anything like that because it's a it's classic Disney where they know how to tell a children's story. Have they seen Bambi? I don't know. I feel like my son did, but he was very young when we watched it. Land Before Time? No, we haven't watched that yet. You're ready for I haven't, tears at the I haven't been that. ready. I haven't been ready for that yet. <laughs> right. and, then, and then that girl, the, the Triceratops girl, do you, you know about her? Hmm? The girl who plays the Triceratops that's like, or not the Triceratops, maybe the little duck one who's like, yep, yep, yep. Ducky? Yeah. I think that's right. That actress oh. was murdered by her father before right. the movie came out or something like yeah. that. And you're like, oh, now I can't enjoy this as much. Oh, I'm sad now. You don't have to share that with your kids. <laughs> no, they have to know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, now I'm sad. Well, yeah. yeah, I don't have a great segue from that to... Uh, Ooh, wait, I know. Yeah, Speaking of murder... Uh-huh. Matt, you watched The Grudge? Yeah. Is that where you're going to go with next? It, it is. It is. All right. Um, yeah, so Let's there's segue. a preview corner with this. All right. Yeah. I was waiting. I forgot about it until I started laughing. That was the laugh remix. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's complete. Okay, now that we've had an intro. Another preview for Birds of Prey. I got nothing to say about it. Then I saw a preview for A Quiet Place 2. Ooh, I uh, watched this the other day. And I cannot say that I'm... I, I really enjoyed A Quiet Place, but I can't say I'm really looking forward to this. Because you know what it felt like in the preview to me was The Walking Dead. Where it's like, oh, look, in this post-apocalyptic setting, there are other people. And the people who are still alive are bad people. And so this is a movie about people people running into people rather than just the monsters and i just i'm so tired of that shit from the walking dead that i I will probably see this because i i have i did enjoy the first one and i can softly assume that this is done well but i'll be pretty apprehensive when i go in because i really am completely tired of that formula you know Mm -hmm. like in the walking dead it was just like can we can the concern here be zombies please rather than just yet another group of people who are also dangerous like and other zombie movies and stuff too like i understand that it's a hard kind of medium to work with because zombies tend to not be particularly intelligent and you know in these movies they're not supposed to be i don't think like thinking creatures either they're just very responsive and dangerous they just react yeah but this conflict with people as the solution i understand that there would be conflict with people that that would be a thing in a post-apocalyptic world or situation but it's not an interesting plot point for me i'm more intrigued by the setting and the creatures and the danger from the novel situation than from people being jerks maybe this movie will do it better than other mediums have and better than the walking dead has but i was pretty frustrated and disappointed to see that that's going to be a big part of what this movie is rather than just those scary monsters so yeah wasn't there a moment in the first movie where John Krasinski, I guess every night or once a week, he goes to the top of a water tower to light a fire. And that's how they communicate with the people that are still alive. 
around them like everybody who's still alive lights a fire just to say hey we're still around uh, you know i i don't know i don't remember that because what i imagine that the killian murphy character is is just that guy who lives on the farm up a ways mm-hmm. and why is he gonna kill them that's that's what i hate is the crazy old like like you're saying the crazy old kook who's still alive and uh we're gonna have to figure out why he's got a heart of gold and he's gonna sacrifice himself to save the kid at the end and i did like how they show i guess the movie's also gonna be about the invasion yeah which i thought was pretty cool that's part the, the, i am interested in seeing where it's like okay here's how this thing got started yeah yeah but i was reading an article article with the trailer that said that there are more monsters in this movie than just the hearing ones and i'm like uh don't go bigger is better Mm. kind of a thing but i like the first one enough that i'm and i like john krasinski that i'm willing to let him do it but i do know that he didn't really want to make this movie that's not a good Uh, sign right but they offered him a ton of money and he was like yeah all right sure let's do it so so this is probably gonna suck (laughs) Oh well, uh, It'll make money though, and that's the goal. I agree with you though on on that being a part of the preview that had me like that was the positive side was like okay seeing some of where this came from how it came to be but mm-hmm. the, yeah the first one seems like it was a bit of a passion project for him and it, it kind of had that feel and so to know that he wasn't too excited about doing this in the first place either that's that's disheartening Ugh. yeah. Well, speaking of things that don't have people's heart in it, I saw a preview for Black Widow. Uh, oh. <laughs> and God, that is really two minutes of people just looking like they do not care that they're there. Oh, like, I totally disagree. Really? Yeah. I who, love it. Who in the preview looks like they're having fun being in that movie? David Harbour looks like he's having fun. The Red Guardian okay, guy. Okay, the guy. Okay. The other, like the blonde Black Widow girl or whoever it is. Looks like she's uh, having fun to you. Yeah. Well, she's like supposed to be like a murderer. She's an assassin, so Uh, she's... I'm not talking about the character. I'm talking about the actors. I I did get the sense that maybe the guy's enjoying his jokes, whether they're funny or not. But I I was just looking at their faces going like, man, they look as disinterested as as I feel. Uh, I disagree. Okay. Well, you're allowed to disagree. I mean, you're allowed to be wrong. Um, (laughs) And then I saw another preview for The Gentleman. I don't have anything more to say about that. Preview for Fantasy Island. Oh, Uh, oh. I watched this trailer. (laughs) What Uh, do you think? Well, first off, it is based on the show. Like 100%. Yeah. Oh, you know uh, what? Down, I never saw the down show, to, so maybe uh, I just didn't know what it actually was. <laughs> down to the down to the the point where like the one character's like the plane, the plane, <laughs> and the, oh, the white suit that Michael Payne is. Either time that I saw it. Wait, so Fantasy Island, the show, is about people getting to live out dreams and having yes, it be but without, twisted, but without the horror twist. I believe I never watched the show; I just was aware uh-huh. of it, and I think it starred Christopher Lee. Wasn't he like the main character of the? He was the guy. I have no idea, man. He was the Michael Pena of the, of the. He was the white suit guy. I'm pretty sure it's Christopher Lee. And then the little person from the Man with the Golden Gun, who was also starred Christopher Lee. Hmm. I can't remember that actor's name, but he's the guy who's like the plane, the plane. Yeah, is like his 
helper guy and they make people's dreams come true really but this movie is is this but twisted and i was like i love this i am on board with this yeah um, well it comes out on valentine's day so you don't have to wait long if you want to see it soon oh that's not a good sign of valentine's uh, day oh no movie, so <laughs> nope it's better Although, than a january release date but I, I think happy death day might have come out on valentine's day though and that's got both of our seals of approval. That's true. Yeah, you're right. I don't remember. Did uh, you see the second one of that? I have not yet, no. Oh, yeah. You gotta get around to that. Yeah. Gotta watch a lot of things. Yeah, well, this time in the Fantasy Island preview, the thing that stood out to me was that they, they call out the no phone service thing in the preview. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a weird thing to feel like you need to include. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's an unfortunate conceit we have with all modern day contemporary horror movies where they have to be like, here's why we don't have phones. But to put that in the preview, I was just like, this is what? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I saw another preview and why is Vin Diesel? <laughs> why is Vin Diesel? Why uh, is Vin Diesel? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm I might have seen a preview for this before, but it's a movie called Bloodshot, and he's got nano robot technology, and it seems like it's one of those. Oh, uh, here's a super soldier, you know, and he's got some sort of amnesia. He maybe he died or was in a coma, and he's waking up and realizes it's like Jason Bourne kind of thing, except he's got superpowers instead of just being very kickass. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I've got some sort of grudge against the people who made me. Uh, but it's kind of mixed with the edge of tomorrow or something where it's like, I don't know. He keeps getting destroyed and starting over again. And Oh, I mean, I, I don't know at this point, like I might not be able to see Vin Diesel in anything and be excited about it. Cause I've, I've never seen anything with him that I've enjoyed uh-huh. and I haven't enjoyed him. I, I don't know. I, it might be a little bit of a mix between that and that it's a pretty stale idea, but I don't know. I, I feel like I've got a pretty, because of those, pretty biased way of reading the preview. So it might be a better movie than it seems like to me, but it, it didn't look very appealing. I never even heard of it. I think it might be based on a comic book or something. And, oh. and I feel like at the end of the preview, it didn't say when it was coming out. So I don't know if it's one of those things, too, where they're like, oh, we don't know where to place this. But speaking of movies placed at certain points in the year, a horror movie that comes out in January. Not a good sign. No. And I honestly hadn't thought about that when I was going into the theater. I was just like, oh, The Grudge, you know, that was a big movie. So if they remade it, they probably, I don't know why I would think this, but they probably improved it. (laughs) What? I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing about my life and my movie watching experiences that justify that sort of conclusion. And yet here we are. You, of course, remember why we love the grudge so much. I don't even remember if we did. I remember that we got the crap scared out of us in the previews because we saw a ghost next to the the exit sign the screen yeah. <laughs> yeah like between yeah between the exit sign and the and the the screen during a preview of white noise um uh-huh. and and i don't even know that i believe in ghosts i'm pretty sure i don't and yet <laughs> that was a very convincing <laughs> moment so i i think we might have shared this in other episodes but you know not every listener's uh-huh. heard every episode so uh listeners 
So we're watching, we're getting ready for the grudge, and we're watching a preview for for white noise. And I look over next to the screen, to the right of the screen, and see a white figure. And in moments like this, and, and, and Nick's familiar with this, in moments like this where there's something terrifying going on, my mind switches mode. And Matt gets, uh, Matt gets eerily calm. Yeah, it, it processes very sharply. And, and which, is, very... which is a huge red flag for me. <laughs> yeah, when there's any potential for anything scary going on, and I'm like, hey, we should leave. Nick knows to freak out. So in, in this moment, I'm like, oh, look, a thing that looks like a ghost. I'm going to point this out to Nick, and... And he's not going to see what I see because this isn't actually a problem. And so I turn to Nick and Nick's like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) And I got to say, that's kind of a terrifying response when you're expecting someone to confirm to you that something scary isn't there. Yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, and then it was gone. And uh, yeah. But it was there for a while where we're just like staring at it and then it just went away. Yeah, we had time to process what was yeah. going on and confirm with each other that we both see it and it's still there neither and, one of us but the movie trailers had started so it's not like we're gonna go over there right so it's a ghost <laughs> and, and well in movies for instance the grudge <laughs> when you see something terrifying happen to somebody and then 10 minutes later they're acting like nothing happened and you're oh. like what is wrong with you uh i guess there's some truth to it because we just sat there watching <laughs> movies sat there <laughs> But like the that first grudge movie scared the crap out of me. One, because we were primed by the actual ghost. True. But like the creepy grudge noise from the first one that and then like the backwards walking thing. That's one of the few horror movies experiences where I left where I was like shaken and uncomfortable because I had my head mashed against the chair the whole time. Uh Like my neck hurt from me pressing against the chair because I was freaked out. Trying to get away from that girl. Yeah. I I really like the first one. I have never gone back to see it because I know it's not going to hold up. And I watched about 20 minutes of the second one before I turned it off. Oh, I don't I even like, remember there being a second one. Oh yeah, there's a second one. I turned it off. Oh. I don't even. I don't remember it. I just remember hating it immediately and going like, "Nope." Yeah. First I'd... off, there's no ghost in the corner, so. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen the second one. If I did, I definitely forgot about it. This movie does not have that same the the I don't know bad guy, the ghosts, whatever in this movie, not nearly as effective as that kid with makeup on just totally not now my experience with this movie was slightly skewed and by slightly i mean potentially a lot i mean this is a bad movie i'm gonna just tell you right now but i had an audience experience that just got under my skin now I used to be a bit more uptight than I am now. Uh-huh. I've, I've mellowed a bit. You know, all the stuff that I, I do as a therapist, I apply to myself. I've learned to be more accepting and, and allow things to kind of come and go. And, you know, things don't go your way and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But for some reason last night, man, this is just one of these things that bugged the shit out of me. Because there were two people. It was pretty, it wasn't packed. It was probably a half, maybe a third full theater. Because I think it was the opening night for the movie. There were... 
a fair amount of open seats. There were open seats in front of me. And then these two people decided that they wanted to be able to put their feet up on the chairs in front of them, but there were people in front of them. And instead of moving over to spaces that were open, but didn't have me behind them, they decided, hey, let's move to this place where we can put our feet up, but prevent Matt from putting his feet up by sitting in front of him. (laughs) And I just, I was so pissed off. I was like, why, what, why don't I deserve to be allowed to put my feet up? You assholes. And, And almost like they wanted to revel in what they were doing. Now, I don't think they actually were trying to ruin my experience, but it just, the woman sat in front of me and like rocked her chair back and forth furiously when she sat down. And I'm like about six one, maybe six one and a half. So like, there's not a ton of room between my knees and the seat in front of me. So not only did she take the seat in front of me, it's like she was trying to bang it into my knees. And oh, I just wanted to punch them. <laughs> I was so frustrated. And I did. If there were not a lot of people there, I, I, I might have said something. Like, I really considered it a couple times just being like, mostly out of bafflement, if that's a thing. Like, I just wanted to be like, hey, guys, why sit in front of me instead of just in an open space. But I, I didn't want to like start anything and, and interrupt other people's movie experience. I honestly think if, if there weren't anybody within like speaking range of us, I would have just really out of curiosity. Like I wouldn't have yelled at them or anything. Cause like I said, I don't think they were actually trying to bother me. I'm not quite that narcissistic to, to go like, this is about me. But man, just not but being able sure to address felt it that way. Well, and, and not being able to address it. I'm like, man, I have a pretty good way of saying what I need to say without starting something but i can't do it so all i have to do is sit here and have these people rock in front of me oh (laughs) so now if this movie were interesting i probably would have moved on a lot easier too but that's one problem with this movie it is not interesting at all this is the least engaging movie i've seen since the possession of hannah grace oh yeah i just uh so the idea of this movie is when oh, what is it? how when someone is murdered in a f- moment of rage it creates a curse that like sticks with the house that they're in mm-hmm. but then it gets transferred it, this movie doesn't even know its own rules and i would imagine this is said like it's some special thing but i'm like well aren't a lot of people murdered in a moment of rage like either they're mad that they're being murdered Or the person murdering them is mad. Mm -hmm. (sighs) The way this movie's told, it's kind of like someone's killed, right? And Mm -hmm. it's... I don't even know who's supposed to be enraged. You see this movie through kind of three lenses of stories. It's like the first people to get killed, and then people it got passed on to, and then other people it got passed on to, because it's... It's a real mixed bag and a real mixed message in terms of whether it's the house that's haunted or the people or what, like how this actually gets passed on. And it seems like it's kind of like if people go into a space where it is, it gets passed on. But people are interacting with other people all the time who have had interaction with this, I don't know, ghost 
curse whatever and they it doesn't get passed on so the rules don't make sense and now that i'm thinking about it i'm realizing that the very first people in the movie there's a woman and it is the first like scene in the movie who sort of picks it up but you don't know what she actually saw so i don't think you actually know what the first murder was so you don't actually know where the rage happened but it gets passed on and so like she kills some people and then someone else comes to that house and then they kill people and then someone else comes to that house and i guess they kill people but you're like seeing these three different sets of people that it affects these three stories are being told kind of in t- at the same time they sort of like overlap and it feels more like that's a way to try to make the movie seem complicated and smart than it is sensible or effective it's just like hey we don't have a very good story and we can't fill more than like 20 minutes so we're just gonna do it three times but instead of doing it in a linear way because that would be easy to tell that it's shitty storytelling we're gonna chop it up and make it seem like we know how to tell a story in an interesting way and it doesn't work it doesn't help it doesn't make it interesting and then at the end it acts like there's this big reveal it's like here's what actually happened and you're like well we already know that we've known that the whole fucking time movie this isn't interesting and this movie takes itself very seriously like there's a lot of moments where it just seems like it thinks it's dramatic I don't even know if it seems to think it's scary. It just seems to think it's impactful and it's just really, really, really not. I don't know that the acting's actually bad, but there's nobody to care about in this movie. Everyone's kind of depressed, but there's nothing that pulls you into anybody's story. If there's a main character, she has a kid and you don't even really get a chance to care about the kid. And at some point I'm like, wait, she's at work at like two in the morning. And this kid who's probably like, I don't know, eight years old is at home alone. He put himself to bed. What the fuck's going on here? And then at some point in another scene, the mom says, oh, you know, I couldn't find a babysitter. So I'm bringing him to work. And I'm like, wait a minute. So there was a babysitter there the night before. I don't remember seeing a babysitter. It's like they forgot that she had a kid. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's that sort of thing where I'm like, how am I supposed to care about these characters when the people making the movie didn't even care enough to make it feel real at all Uh, well and and none of the scary stuff is like actually scary like there is a kid they kind of do the sound effect like there is like a it almost sounds a little bit more like a ticking than the like and it's not effective at all it's just not scary there's just no emotions to this movie i had stronger emotions about the people sitting in front of me definitely than (laughs) i did about any moment in this movie itself and again i don't think this is the a reflection of the acting in the movie it's just not well done and there's just nothing surprising about it other than how dull it is i'm not quite sure how long it is but if i had to go on how long it felt i'd say it felt like it was about two hours and 15 minutes long i'm gonna i'm gonna look up now how long it actually is but that's my review of the grudge Mm, that's terrible yeah don't go see it if you're looking for a horror movie stay at home and watch it follows that's that's a movie where something's being passed on and it's much more interesting and engaging the grudge Mm. was an hour and 33 minutes long oh my god (laughs) yeah 
It felt almost twice as long. It, it definitely felt long. Uh, honestly, I and I know I've said this a couple times. There have been a, a few movies like Batman versus Superman and in a different way, the last Star Wars movie where I've thought about walking out. Now, with the last Star Wars movie, it was because nothing mattered. I was watching the movie just going like, nothing's coming of this, so I can leave and there's not real. I'm not going to be missing anything. And this movie, I wanted to leave because I was straight up bored. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I didn't leave was because I, f- I figured I couldn't really get away with putting the first half of the grudge somewhere on my hierarchy list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to watch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how to rate half a movie. So, uh, uh, so that's that. Well, I'm excited to see where it ends up. Because <laughs> yeah. Hannah Grace is pretty low on your list, right? Oh, very low. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's exciting. Ooh, did we beat Aquaman? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. That brings me to the final movie that I watched this week from 2019, Joker, directed by Todd Phillips. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, and Zazie Beetz. We're going to get into spoilers on this because Matt and I have now both seen it, finally. But before we do that, I'll let you know my general impressions, which were, I loved this. I loved it a lot. From the first frame of the movie where the old style Warner Brothers logo shows up, I was Mm. like, oh, I'm in love. The way the movie looks, the textures, the colors were so perfect. It felt like you were watching a movie that was made in 1977. Got like a French Connection style movie or even like the sound, the way the sound design is like, what's it called? The guys who make the sound effects. Foley? The Foley artist, like the Foley work in that first scene or wherever where they steal his sign when mm-hmm. he's dressed as the clown and they're just running and you just hear the feet on the street and you're like, that is some great Foley work. Oh man, I love the way this movie looked. I love the way it sounded. I love the way it was cut together. I loved it. Now we'll get into spoilers. I did not like the way it ended. I did not care for the, the final few scenes. Mm-hmm. The Bruce Wayne stuff... It was okay. It did feel a little forced. The Thomas Wayne stuff worked really well for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, because finally Thomas Wayne is acting like an actual rich person. Right. Instead of this benevolent billionaire. Yeah. He's, uh, not, he's not like which, a philanthropist. Well, I guess he's a philanthropist, but he's like an actual billionaire where he's, yeah, I'll give you some money, but what's in it for me? Uh-huh. kind of a thing and they don't say like he's a bad person but like the thomas wayne stuff so he's like kind of a jerk but like in the eyes of bruce wayne i imagine that he is this benevolent god of a man who right he might no be wrong. idealized by his son he's not right. idealized by the movie yeah and by the people in the movie either mm-hmm. and that's one thing that the movie really establishes is that gotham is full of disenfranchised poor people and the thing that i i liked about first off i thought joaquin phoenix was amazing i thought he was just terrific especially from the like the that first scene where he's just laughing and like they establish all right so this is his joker laugh where he's just kind of messed up and then he's sitting there with his social worker and he's just laughing and then when he finally settles down the social worker's like so how are things going (laughs) you know it's just oh it establishes its tone immediately I know I'm jumping all over the place, but the end of the movie, after he gets rescued from the police car by the weird Joker thugs or whatever, and then he stands on the car and is dancing, Yeah. but then it cuts to him in the asylum, 
this is a question that I have, and, and maybe it's ambiguous, and you're supposed to think about it. Is it supposed to imply that he imagined the whole movie? I think it is supposed to be ambiguous. I think it is supposed to be like you could read his. So, so basically, what happens is the he, that's all happened. It's culminated in like there's this revolt in the street kind of thing against the society and the discrepancy between like the poor and the rich and the disenfranchised. You know rising up violently and then poof he's in a institution or a correctional facility and he's talking with a social worker and he sort of snaps out of something like he's lost in thought and he's like kind of laughing to himself and she's like you know what's funny what what are you what what are you thinking and he says oh you wouldn't get it and so i think there you've got a couple ways that you can read this and i think people have read it these different ways one is like he imagined that whole thing and he's kind of enjoying this sort of daydream and she you know he says you wouldn't get it and i think kind of no matter how you read it that statement makes sense he doesn't expect anybody to be able to kind of understand how he feels or what he the way he sees things so i think it could be just a daydream and i think that's my preferred way of reading it is like this is sort of a believable daydream for someone in his state and situation um another way to read it is that earlier in the movie when he's talking with the first social worker yeah she makes reference to him having been in some sort of institution or asylum or something before yeah so one way you do that real quick cut of him remembering his time in the institution and he's just smashing his head against the wall right and so one way of reading this too is this is possibly something that happened when he was there before so so this happened before what the social worker was talking about in that earlier scene so so you're saying that the the thing at the end is a is a flashback yeah yeah, so that's that's another possibility too. I didn't that think one, about that. I've heard other people say that, and it occurred to me in the movie when I when I saw the movie too. But I was like, it, it doesn't ring as true to me because it seems to be implied that he murdered her, and right. so kind of referring back to that, the way it was referred to in the earlier scene, if it were referring back to murdering her it just seems like it didn't quite have enough weight in that moment to be like oh i'm referring back to when you murdered somebody mm-hmm. and then the other possibility is that like no he didn't imagine like that this is not a flashback it's just this stuff all happened it's not in his head and he's remembering it and whatever he's laughing at he's saying oh you wouldn't understand it but it already happened and and i actually I mean, you just watched the whole movie. So in terms of going like, that's how this played out seems weird. It seems like it makes more sense for it to have been in his head, except in his, if this was all in his head, it seems a little bit strange that he would have imagined a scenario in which he imagined having a girlfriend. Yeah. And so that's a little odd too, but I feel like the most fitting of the three explanations to me is that he imagined this whole thing. It's a daydream. He's kind of laughing at it because it humors him in this strange, you know, kind of way that only makes sense for the character we, as we've understand him to be personality wise. Mm -hmm. Um, So I go with the read of like, he imagined the whole thing and he's kind of laughing, but I do have a problem with that part about like this sort of, he imagined this girlfriend thing. It's a little strange. As part of that. Yeah. Unless in like the storytelling part of his mind where he's like, ooh, what's what's even more tragic? She was never even there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's still, that still works. It's just a little, it's just a little odd because it's like kind of tricking yourself. But I think the way you just said it is probably the best way of reconciling that too, is to go like, yeah, he would see that as the most tragic thing. That's how kind of just messed up the whole thing is. It's also kind of implied that he kills her. Right. They don't resolve that at all. Like you're just supposed to decide whether or not he did it. And I could not figure it out if he did or not. You know, it is ambiguous. So I can't say it's, there's no way for me to back this up, but I feel like in terms of it making sense, that's just why else would this even be hinted at, you know, like what's the alternative? He just went, Oh, okay, well I'll see you later. (laughs) And he just walked out. It's like, no, those people are dead. He killed her and he probably killed her kid too. Yeah, probably. I'm leaning more towards that because in his mind, she's wronged him by not being with him. He realizes that she was never there. Like in his head, she was there. And then he realizes that she wasn't. And then he feels like she's lying to him and that she's wronged him. And now he's going to take it out on her because the little person, he lets him go because he never did anything mean to him when he kills the guy from his work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I follow you. And uh, so he lets him go, which I think was one of my favorite parts of the movie is when he's like trying to sneak by and Joaquin Phoenix is like, (laughs) the guy gets all freaked out and then he can't reach the lock. And I was like, oh, wow. So I got two thoughts on this. And and one is that in terms of what you had just said, you know, about like the, his kind of most tragic read of things that I think that would apply to the murder of the girlfriend and maybe her her kid too it's like yep that's the darkest read you could have yeah exactly yeah good point and the darkest read you could have i guess on this other situation is that he also kills the little person but it's actually one of the few moments in the movie where i was like okay this and i guess i mean this a bit as a criticism but it's the only part of the entire movie where i'm like okay this is the joker because there's like a little bit of chaos in that the rest of the movie is just tragic that is the only moment in the movie where there's any chaos to it where it's like oh you know what if this is a story where everything is just as bad as it can possibly be that's the one moment in the movie where he's like you know what i'm not completely predictable i'm actually gonna let you go and there's this weird twisted humor about the guy not being able to reach the door handle or the lock and you actually don't know what's going to happen is he going to let him out or not and then he does the like booga booga scare and then lets him go and that doesn't quite fit with the tragedy of everything but it's the one place where there's a little bit of this unpredictability otherwise it's pretty predictable i mean you know where the movie's going yeah and and that's my problem with this movie as in the context for me of a joker from the dc universe story as far as just like a tragic movie or it's just like hey everything's going bad for somebody and it's gonna go in a bad direction you know it all works pretty well yeah before the movie came out one of my concerns about it was that it was attempting to turn the joker into this tragic figure Mm -hmm. and this does like that's that's the goal of the movie is to turn it into a tragic figure but only Briefly, do you feel bad for him? You very quickly are like once everything in his life starts to go to hell, like even the part where he kills the guys on the subway, where he Mm -hmm. shoots those guys, that was in legit self-defense. He wasn't supposed to have a gun, I guess, because he's like a violent 
I guess he was a violent criminal in the past, which is why he's not allowed to have a gun. But then he shoots those guys because they're literally killing him. Like, they're beating the shit out of him. And he shoots them in self-defense. If he just waited at the train and the police came, he probably would still get arrested and all that stuff because those are wealthy white men. Mm -hmm. But you could see him getting off in the trial where they're like, this was self-defense. But everything that happens after that, where he realizes that nothing matters anymore, that's when you stop feeling bad for him and you're just kind of going with him for this journey, this descent into madness, I guess. Because they don't really establish... The only time you realize that he stopped taking his medication or that his medication was helping him at all is when he's getting ready to kill the big guy. And he says, yeah, I stopped taking my meds. I feel great. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, is he snapping now because he's off his meds and all this other stuff has happened or would all of this happen anyway because he got off his meds and that's a question that kind of doesn't get answered and i guess it doesn't need to be he's just a crazy person but if you're gonna explore that i kind of want more information but the movie you know the movie can't be 16 hours long you know like it's not going to tell you everything well and i think i think it wants you to be left with questions yeah that's true one thing getting back to the thomas wayne stuff Mm -hmm. is alec baldwin was originally cast as thomas wayne and he dropped out for whatever reason i don't remember why but he would have been perfect in that role Mm, yeah Um, i think so because the guy that they got to replace him is like he's just like an alec baldwin type where the whole time he's talking i was like oh i can imagine alec baldwin doing this and this would be probably the same Except it would be Alec Baldwin, his delivery. But the guy that they got, I think, did a a pretty good job. The other thing is the whole storyline with his mother is twisted for a variety of reasons. Like, she got arrested. So I'm trying to get this straight. She got arrested for child endangerment because she let her boyfriend beat him Mm -hmm. and abuse him. But she was in a institution before that i guess she had been in and out of institutions her whole life and while she was in the institution she adopted him is that what happened man i'm trying to remember i i i I think i yeah i think i had the impression that once he gets those files and looks through them I, i don't know if i had the impression that she was in and out of hospitals her entire life there might there might have been something that implied that but yeah i think it becomes pretty clear that he was adopted and then yeah she had a partner who beat him I guess what, what's what's the question you're trying to figure out whether she adopted him before or after she had been institutionalized? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really know if it know. matters too much. I guess not. But I guess it was like she was working for the Waynes and then she adopted the baby and got institutionalized. Maybe it all happened at like the same time. But the relationship that he has with his mother, I don't think reflects the history he has with his mother where he's like the victim of abuse but like his mother loves him very much. And I think it would have worked a little better story-wise if he treated her the same as he does in the movie, but that she was terrible to him. I think it would make a lot more sense for, especially when he turns on her, if he finally realizes, oh, you're terrible to me. But like, she's always been kind to him, except for when she let a man abuse him. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't. The relationship don't with the mom it, is is challenging. I, I don't think I felt the same 
kind of uh, i don't i didn't feel that same pull like it seemed to me like it was a pretty ambiguous and there's a lot of gray sort of in that situation i didn't get the impression that she was just good to him all the time you know there's there's some sort of affection here but like i mean she's constantly telling him he's not funny so like there's also an insensitivity and like yeah she allowed abuse and and i'm not in any way making an evaluation of people who can't get out of situations where they're abusive partners or anything but from the perspective of the kid you know going like okay so this is the only person i have and they're not able to protect me or they're not protecting me and that sort of like love your abuser love your parent who can't protect you like i i could see that being pretty kind of gray area mixed feelings and kind of chaotic in in his mind too like I, I think that's still even if he's imagining this whole thing at the end that still says something about how unclear and chaotic and unsafe Whatever this guy's backstory is, he he grew up without a real safe relationship. And I think the larger movie saying like that's how strained things are when society doesn't care about people. The best situation you might have is having a family member who doesn't abuse you. And that might be the closest thing to a loving relationship you have. Okay, good point. The other thing I wanted to mention that I really liked is the one night where he's in the comedy club. Not where he's performing, but he's just watching the comedian and he's laughing at all the wrong spots. And like taking notes on stuff. And and like sex jokes, always funny. But the fact that he just laughed at all the wrong spots, I thought was such a great decision. I don't know whose decision it was, his or the, the script or the, while they're making it, but just him completely missing a punchline of the joke mm-hmm. and laughing at the setup where where no one else is laughing and it's just him and then he like realizes it for a second but then he does it again and he's trying so hard to fit in but he just can't and oh man i loved it like i have some problems with this movie but i loved it i thought it was great i can't wait to see it again i i I hope i like it more in the second viewing i had some issues with the and, and some of this is me trying to figure out you know what to do with my understanding of the joker the character i already know and how this character is or isn't that some of this also is like some psychologist stuff i know a little bit about it's not a diagnosis i've run into directly i don't think ever but there is a affect disorder where this sort of inappropriate laughter inappropriate affect responses like emotions you can see you'd go like well that doesn't that doesn't fit right now you know that person's mm-hmm. crying when they're happy or, or laughing when they're sad that's a thing and here i don't think it's portrayed accurately and that's not necessarily what the movie's about so that's perfectly fine i'm not going to go off on some like psychologist oh they got the disorder wrong kind of thing but in terms of the joker i'm going like well wait a minute his humor he he when when he says at the end he's like you wouldn't get it i'm like now that's right that's right for the joker mm-hmm. as a character i know that's also right for the person in this movie like you are not in my shoes and you don't you wouldn't get what i get from my context in dc joker world that's like no you wouldn't get it because i am sociopathic in a whole chaotic way and what's funny to me is just 
chaos. The less this joke makes sense, the better it is. So when it comes to like the idea of there being a disorder, I really don't like that from a Joker I like perspective. I love the Heath Ledger Joker. And I know this isn't trying to be that, which is fine, but giving it an explanation and being like, oh, there's a, a disorder, a neurological thing going on here that's, he laughs when he's stressed. I'm like, no, not my Joker. My Joker's not laughing because he's got stress and it's coming out in a different way because of how his body responds. If he's at all laughing about stress, it's because he finds his own chaos hilarious and he's like, ha ha ha, that's happening to me. And I don't care that it's me. It's just interesting because something is going on. Whereas in this movie, it's like, oh, he has this thing that he can explain to people like, no, I'm not really laughing right now. I don't really think it's funny. It's just that my body body's responding differently. I have a card to explain that. I'm Ooh. actually a fairly normal person. I just have this response where my body does something different. I'm like, that is definitely not my joker. You know, that's that's well, a that's a person I actually understand in the real world. And one thing I like about the Joker as a character elsewhere in DC is like that is he's not an understandable guy. He thrives on chaos. This is, here's a person who's who's an understandable person who's made this way by neurological issues and society and circumstances and is understandable. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, it, it emphasizes to me in a way how, you know, I've heard on a handful of different occasions that this movie wasn't originally a Joker movie. It wasn't about the Joker. It was just a person and the writer couldn't sell it. And so he uh-huh. he went to Warner Brothers and said, what if this was a Joker movie? And they were like, yeah, well, we're making tons of superhero movies and stuff right now. And, you know, Wolverine or uh, Logan did well and we got Deadpool and whatnot. So, yeah, let's do something different. It can probably make a lot of money. And clearly it did. I mean, this movie was in the theater right up until it came out on streaming and Blu-ray and stuff. So good call on their part, I guess. But for me, I probably would have enjoyed this movie more if it weren't supposed to have anything to do with the Joker, really. Getting back like a minute to what you were saying about him laughing at inappropriate things is uh, while you were talking about it, I started thinking about it a little more. And maybe what's happening when he's laughing at stuff where he gives that lady his card or when he's when he's on the bus and then later when he's laughing on the subway and and all the other times when he's laughing and in his head he knows this isn't funny i shouldn't be laughing at this why am i laughing oh right i have a condition and what the actuality is is that he thinks it's hilarious he thinks it's hilarious and inside he knows he shouldn't like this isn't funny Most people don't think it's funny. Coming back to that, you wouldn't get it. Like, why are you laughing? You wouldn't get it. Because he's the only one who thinks it's funny. And it's easier just to say, oh, I have a condition where I laugh at things uncontrollably, even when I shouldn't be. I think works really well for me. Where at the end of the movie, he realizes, oh, this is hilarious. And I'm the only one who gets how funny it is. I really like that. Uh, you know, and, and I don't exactly disagree. I just think that there are some moments in the movie where I feel like that's the case and other moments where I feel like it's not. And that's that's one of the things that kind of 
uh, it, it grates on me a little bit with this movie where I'm like, oh, I want it to be a little bit more cohesive in this way where it really is that that's the case. Oh, or it's not a Joker movie. It's a it's a movie about a guy and does have a disorder. And and I think some of that is that there are some scenes where he's laughing and he's sort of crying at the same time. And I'm like, eh. it does make it seem like it's a disorder. And then there mm-hmm. are other mo- moments where it's like, no, 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 he has a sociopathic sense of humor and and maybe some of the psychologist stuff does get in the way i try i try not to get into the whole i i, I don't i want to on this podcast you know just kind of talk about movies from a from a movie standpoint i don't really want to bring any outside knowledge really into it but mm-hmm. that's something that at times you know i probably can't do you know there are certain ways i look at people that's kind of from a therapist standpoint or to have a hard time putting down some you know science that i know and so maybe those moments would read a little bit differently for me where i wouldn't go like the the moments where it feels like a disorder might not feel so human and feels as much like they are a disorder to me if if it weren't for that background in in my world and i might be mm-hmm. able to go more with the like okay w- what you're saying he really just does think this is hilarious and it's mm-hmm. it's only that way from his perspective and i and i and i like that and some of that is a little bit more joker i know kind of idea when he says at the end like you wouldn't get it i like that moment mm-hmm. and strangely enough i kind of like that from both sides where if it's the he's a sociopath and he sees things in this way that nobody gets because it's all chaos i like that and if it were not a joker movie and it was a movie about a guy that's just a tragic story i could appreciate that too where it's like yeah mm-hmm. nobody does get it because everyone who is put in this position by society feels very alone and even if they have this in common they don't feel like they understand each other and maybe they don't when when it comes to these two social workers they're kind of interesting characters because the social worker who's in the middle of the movie in the beginning of the movie she gets more or less laid off Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she's kind of in the same position where she's like damn it i'm trying Uh, i'm trying (laughs) you know and it's Mm -hmm. like and they're like you know what you don't matter who cares about these people and who cares about you trying to help these people and it's like damn it it's the people at the bottom trying to help each other and the people with the power just like you know what we can make more money off of things if we don't pay for any of this stuff so fuck you and there's a part where he seems resentful of her and i'm like oh man she's trying to help you too but they also she's so disheartened too that her heart's not really in it either and the idea of you wouldn't get it that is pretty tragic because it's like man maybe they would get it you know because they're in a crappy position too but at the same time it's like no you're on your own too and she's on her own and everybody's on their own because the powers that be suck and then when everyone revolts at the end you're like yeah i kind of i can kind of go with that go ahead set everything on fire i might be losing my thread a little bit here i'll just stop talking well i had a a thought about when that social worker is talking to him and she's telling him like the funding has been cut blah 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 and he's like you haven't been listening to anything i've been saying he's like you don't care about me and all and he goes on his rant and while he's saying that i'm realizing you're the same way you haven't heard a word that she said. You haven't heard a word that she said to you. You don't realize that she is trying to help you. I think she thinks he's kind of a lost cause, but she's still trying. Mm-hmm. She's in the office too. Like she's in the room too. And she's losing her job as well. Mm-hmm. But you also don't care about her. And everything that he's saying about her and the wealthy also applies to him where he's blind to everything that isn't him. Like he's narcissistic in that way where he can't 
see past himself, which is what I, I like about this Joker. My wife asked me this morning, she said, which Joker do you like better, the Heath Ledger or the Joaquin Phoenix? And I said, well, you can't compare the two because they're two totally different guys, I guess. The Heath Ledger Joker is just an engine of chaos where... Mm he gets off on the anarchy where the Joaquin Phoenix is, or the Joaquin Phoenix, the Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix Phoenix Joker Joker doesn't care about anyone but himself. What I I like about the end is when he's like practicing for his interview on the Robert De Niro show that he's going to tell his joke and the punchline is he shoots himself in the head. And I don't think he decides that he's going to kill Robert De Niro until he pulls the gun out. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think in that moment he goes, why should I kill myself? You're the one who sucks. And he shoots Robert De Niro. And then he like walks up to the camera and he's like embracing the chaos that he's finally realizing all the chaos that's happening in the city is kind of because of him. And for the most part, he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all all it's just convenient for him most of the time and then like he just kind of embraces it at the end where he's like oh yeah i did this yeah there's like a flavor of like oh power i taste it right and he wants more which is like why at the end where he's like dancing on the car feels a little weird because it's outside the character we've seen the whole movie but it's i guess setting up for a sequel or something i don't know see i feel like that's a moment where they're like you're right it's two different stories one's an agent of chaos one's a tragic story that has an explanation and at the end there when he starts dancing i'm like oh you know the the taste of power thing makes a lot of sense for this character but then at the end it's like oh you know what we want this to seem a little more jokery than it has so we're just gonna have him dance now too (laughs) yeah when he's when he's riding in the car and he's looking out the window and he's sort of like wow that fits for this joker yeah when he's dancing on the car it's like oh now you want it to be that other joker right Mm. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and something else I recently heard, which kind of irks me, but I, I guess for, for me, things like this bother me a, a bit more than I would choose for them to. But like when I see people that I like or or performances and I like, you know, like if I like a band and then I see a home video of them or something and see that they're just like not funny or they're idiots or something, I'd be like, oh man, that kind of ruins it for me. Uh-huh. And then I don't want to listen to their album as much with this as like, you know, I enjoyed, I don't know if enjoyed's the right word, but I appreciated the performance and whatnot from Joaquin Phoenix, who isn't someone I generally like think of myself as liking, but I do mm-hmm. think has talent. And I was hearing the other day about how he, you know, went all method and whatnot and treated everybody like shit except for Robert De Niro. And whenever mm-hmm. he was around him, he just snapped into being a normal, respectful, nice person. Mm-hmm. And oh, that tainted it. <laughs> like, oh, uh-huh. fucking dick. <laughs> you know, like, you're full of crap. And I don't actually, uh, it doesn't tie into this a whole lot other than that. It's another thing that I think I'll probably walk away from this movie enjoying some of the ambiguity, thinking it was a good product, but not really feeling like I want to watch it again. But, you know, if you enjoy it as much as you do and you, you, you want to watch it again and enjoy it again and see how you like it, I'll be curious to hear how it yeah. is for you on repeat viewings too all right at the end uh in terms of the different possible explanations do you have a preference for like whether or not it was in his head i don't i could go either way honestly if it was all in his head i'm like oh cool 
that's a cool way to end a movie where nothing happened. It's just a crazy guy's imagination. And then if it's not, then if it's not all in his head, when does he fight the Batman? And Batman's like eight in this movie and he doesn't become Batman till he's like 18 at the earliest. So this Joker's just running around for 10 years causing chaos with nobody stopping him for 10 years. It just, that doesn't line up for me. Uh-huh. So that's why I think I prefer, if this is a, to- a true total standalone story, I prefer the imagination thing. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to be part of a bigger thing, one, I would love for a Batman movie to take place in like 1990 or 1989, like the Michael Keaton Batman, but it takes place in like actual 1989, like 10 years after this or whatever. I think that would be kind of neat because they did this one so well. But if not, I just don't see how it lines up with a Batman story, mm-hmm. which is what essentially you're telling. You just told a Batman story. We just Batman didn't show up this time. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting if they could keep everything like the seriousness and the tone and stuff, if they could keep it consistent to see what kind of batman that would be because i feel like it would be a a really there's a lot of references in and and i haven't read any of the batman stuff that's been written you know in in terms of like graphic novels probably in the last like eight years or so everything Mm -hmm. that i have is before that so i don't know if they have done this more but i feel like there are tons and tons of references batman wouldn't exist without the bad guys bad guys wouldn't exist without batman he's just as twisted as they are but it's never actually shown all that well like they always kind of shy away from that degree of grit where batman is not a good person and i feel like in this world that would be pretty possible and it'd be like yeah this is a totally alternate version of the joker instead of him being just this agent of chaos who just revels in nonsense it's a guy with a story that makes sense and so in this universe you go like here's batman that's not a good person and that would be pretty interesting well i think you said when when you talked about the movie you you want to see a a batman movie where the joker's the main character we see batman from the joker's perspective or something like that yeah i think that would happen here because if he were to confront him you'd be like oh man you're beating him up and i get it but like yeah now that I, yeah, I want have an understanding of him, it feels mean. Yeah, I want another. I want another Joker movie. I, I mean, I'll say that I want another movie made by the same team where the the Joker's still the protagonist, but Batman is your antagonist. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it hasn't been done. So. Well, and it'd be interesting because you can't exactly like, even though the Joker's the protagonist, you can't exactly root for him. Right. He's a, that's like an anti-hero, right? Isn't that what an anti-hero is? You know, I don't even know at this point because I think uh, with all the things that we've had, you know, like I think Deadpool's considered an anti-hero, but you're totally rooting for him. So like at this point, I don't even know what we mean by anti-hero. So yeah. Well, you know, what's, what's funny is like rooting for him is that at the end of this movie, like I had heard before I saw it, that when the Joker gets to the talk show, that something terrible happens. And the whole time it's building up to it, I'm thinking, how does he kill everyone at the talk show? Like, how does he kill everyone? He doesn't have any bombs. Like, he doesn't know how to do any of that stuff. And then what happens is he just shoots Robert De Niro in the head. And I went, oh, that's it? Oh, 
Well, I was, I mean, it's effective, but like in my head, I had built up the Joker doing something much more grandiose, right? Like executing all of the audience or something like somehow he electric, he electrocutes everyone somehow. <laughs> right. Something and, that goes a little bit more with like the Joker, you know? Right. And so like this one where he just kills a guy, you're like, oh, I expected more from you, but he's still just starting out. You know, <laughs> he's just getting his legs under <laughs> this him. This is the first one. But the show's getting long, Matt. We're going to have to move on to right. uh, Velocipo. Pastor, Velocipastor. Fair enough. It, yeah. Well, this this movie definitely uh, was thought provoking. So, um, <laughs> Velocipastor. Right. Uh, no, the Joker. But oh, or, or Joker. I guess there's no the. But the Velocipastor. So I was actually this is the other night, and, and I was like doing some stuff on my iPad. Like I was drawing some things, and I just kind of wanted something on in the background. So I tried to grab something that I wouldn't actually get into, but that might make me laugh. And I saw Velocipastor, and the description was basically something like, a priest discovers that he can turn into a crime-fighting Velociraptor. (laughs) And I was like, all right, that sounds pretty fine for having something on in the background that I will not get into. And I was wrong. I was very, very wrong. I mean, I did still continue to draw, but I was, this movie got me. I was pulled in. It's, really? I, that might not be quite the right phrase, but it got my attention and it made me laugh a lot. And, you know, like I, I enjoyed House Shark. And if I were to compare the two, I would say, yeah, they both are self-aware. They're both making jokes using the low budget they have to work with and the ridiculousness. But I'd say like House Shark has a lot of moments where nothing's going on. And the ratio of jokes that land to jokes that don't land favors jokes that don't land in House Shark. But there's enough to for me to enjoy it. This movie, I'd say a lot of the jokes land. It's only about 70 minutes long, which is a good call. But the jokes are funny. <laughs> it's so like, I don't know, the meta-ness of it is is well done. Like, I imagine that there's probably tons of footage that wasn't used, and they just edited out all the stuff that wasn't actually smart and really funny. And so, like, there's one point where there's a flashback to something that's currently happening, and it just made me crack up, where I'm like, I'm watching that happen, and there's a flashback to it. I don't know that I've seen this done before, but it's getting to me, it's making me laugh. The jokes aren't, with maybe one or two exceptions, they're not spelled out. Like, the movie trusts that you watch this sort of movie you get these sort of these sorts of jokes it's like a movie that knows that you know movies so when it makes fun of something that movies do it just trusts that you'll get it it's like yeah you get the joke you don't need me to tell you that this is the joke we're making and so you actually get to enjoy it without it being like spoiled on top of just experiencing it the Two main characters in this, the Velocipastor and his prostitute girlfriend. The actors are Gregory James Cohen and Alyssa Kempinski. And they're good. Man, I, I, you know, they like have good chemistry with each other. Comedic chemistry, like timing. Yeah, they have a romance thing going on in the movie. And I don't necessarily mean romantic chemistry because it doesn't matter whether you believe or not that these two love each other. If they were in a position, if they were in a movie where there was romance, I trust that they could because I think comedy is probably harder anyway. But their timing together is great. Like if these two actors are, I don't know, in a 
improv group together or just have projects that they work on together, then it shows because they're really, they seem really comfortable with each other. And there's a lot of like face acting that just works, man. I, they, they're just great. He kind of reminds me of John Mulaney a, a bit. And she reminds me a lot of Jennifer Lawrence, except for that she looks like she's having fun. And, you know, the things that I've seen Jennifer Lawrence in lately are like the X-Men movies. Uh, d- don't get me wrong. I think Jennifer Lawrence can be a good actress. But it's been a while since I've seen her in something that she cared about. I find this actress pretty... She's got sort of a girl next door quality. It's 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 hard to take your eyes off of her. And I, and I don't just mean that she's attractive. She she is. But like she's she's got charisma. I'll put it that way. And the guy does too. He's really likable. Their humor, the, the actual style of it is like the lines are lines that could be in other movies, you know, like where someone says, you know, you have this quality in here and they like touch your chest. You know, I'm thinking like Harry Potter three or um, Gary Oldman is like, it's in here and he touches Harry's chest and it's like, oh, that's a little, little on the nose. <laughs> like they, they do that sort of thing in this movie and, but it's done with such earnestness, you know, the humor's there, but it just, it just works, man. It's not so over the top that you're like, okay, you're like something like hell baby where the comedians are just like, yeah, we're here being comedians. It's like, no, we're here having fun. And I, I don't know. It's a great balance. I love this movie. <laughs> It does a good job of making... I kept waiting for the downtime where I'd be bored for a while. Mm-hmm. But and maybe this is editing again, but they do a good job of like having each scene have a good joke. There's a sex scene where they keep taking off their clothes. And it's like, it's not a joke of like, look at how many layers of clothes they have on. It's just like, it just keeps showing it again. It's like, oh, there they are taking off their clothes again. And it's funny. And the use of music in the movie is pretty funny too. It's it's not always great, but there are a lot of moments where it's like, oh, the music they've chosen for this scene is off. It doesn't quite fit. There's like a crappy punk song while there's a sex scene going on or something. And it's they do that in a handful of spots where it's like, okay, that that works. The dinosaur costume is super goofy. And it's not just a joke that it's cheap. It definitely is a joke that it's cheap, but they also like find ways to do things with that that are funnier too. Like, you know that scene with Godzilla where he kicks and he flies across the screen? Uh-huh. They don't do that, but they do things where you're like, oh, okay, that's them having fun with the prop that they have. So that works too. There's some jokes with like stuff popping up on the screen, like in terms of words and stuff. And those are good. So they find ways to make jokes out of lots of things and set things up in ways that are not everything's necessarily the first time I've seen it, but it's done well with what they have. And it's better than that. Like I'm I'm making it sound like it's okay for a low budget movie. And that's not what I mean. What I mean is they take a low budget movie and they know how to use it. And I I loved it (laughs) in terms of (laughs) anything that's bad about it. I could only really come up with two things. And one is that there are a few too many jokes that are jokes where they laugh for a long time. And jokes where it, it is just like, hey, this goes on for a long time, and that's the joke. And they don't need as many of those as they have. And if you have epilepsy, there's definitely a scene where there's some strobe going on, and it might be problematic for you. Otherwise, Velocipaster is 70 minutes of joy. I highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to check it out. 
It sounds ridiculous. I would love to watch this with you. And I suspect that once you watch it, we will. <laughs> we'll still end up watching it together at some point. I actually, I'm probably going to watch it this Sunday with Karina because we've got some time just to do like a date day. And I was like, we both enjoyed House Shark. We should definitely watch this together. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for that moment on the show where we update our movie rankings list. I have placed my movies, so I'll go first because I have it open here. Going from the top down, in the number 15 spot, I'm going to put between Arctic and Frozen. I'm going to put Joker. I'm going to give this movie four and a half stars. Uh, It's a total recommend. And I'm pretty sure in about a few years that uh, I could see it easily drifting up to a five-star movie for me or down to a four-star movie, depending on how I feel about it in the future. Moving on, the next movie is... In the number 26 spot between Dancer in the Dark and Agira, The Wrath of God, is Robin Hood from 1973. I'm going to give this movie three and a half stars, and it's a total recommend. And not too much further down, in between The Red Turtle and Upgrade, in the number 30 spot, I'm going to put Tell Me Who I Am which I'm also going to give three and a half stars and a recommend to check that out. Matt, yeah, what additions have you all right i am gonna put the velocipaster between snowpiercer and overlord and i am gonna give it this is hard because there's there's a slight uh, i don't know it's there's a slight contest here in my mind between how much i enjoyed it and what Uh the quality of it is and i can't figure out the quality because i enjoyed it so much so i am gonna give the velocipaster four stars oh my god that's the that's the problem that i had with that movie betrayed where i enjoyed it so much but it was garbage (laughs) well yeah but i don't know that this is garbage i didn't enjoy it ironically they tried to make me laugh and they succeeded i laughed at the jokes they were trying to give me for velocipaster man i don't uh, you'll you'll have to you'll have to tell me what i think think. i'm gonna watch this tonight it's Yeah, you might. I don't know. Maybe you'll have to correct me or something. But this this thing just got into a place in my heart and made a home. Um, Okay. So I recommend it. I recommend it without any hesitation to you. And then I'm going to go down the list to between the autopsy of Jane Doe and the inventor and put Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter and this is what movie uh abraham lincoln vampire hunter man i did kind of enjoy it it's hard because i enjoyed velocipaster so much more i'm gonna give it two stars and i man i can't figure out whether i would recommend that to people or not yeah sure it's a, it's a wow. weak recommend, but yeah, check okay. it out. Your, your life right. won't be worse for having watched it. You might want to, again, make sure you have somebody with you. You probably don't want to watch it on your own. It might be nice so if scary. you got a nice cold one to go with it. And then we're going to go way down to the bottom. Way, way Whoa. down to the bottom. And put the grudge between the possession of Hannah Grace and Hell Comes to Frogtown. Wow, into the new 105 spot. Two from the bottom. Yeah, screw you, The Grudge. I guess this is The Grudge from 2020, not 2019. Oh, fair point. And how many stars for The Grudge? One. One whole star. And I'm guessing that's a no. No. Yeah, actually, no. It doesn't deserve a whole star. Give it half a star. Oh, half a star. Wow. Yeah. Cutting it in half. There's really, there really isn't anything redeeming about it. All right. If you would like to see our list, you can check it out on our letterboxed page. You can find a link to that on our website, thisweekinfilm.com. Send us an email at thisweekinfilm.com. 
podcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you saw this week or contact us on all of the usual social networks. Matt, anything from Midwest Matt recommends this week. Yes. Nick, <laughs> I recommend It Follows uh-huh. and Get Out. Oh, okay. Everybody else, uh, I might have mentioned this. First a I'm l- hearing of that. Mm-hmm. Might have mentioned this a long time ago, but and, and I know I've you know, when it comes to reviewing movies, I try to leave the psychology stuff out of it. But if anybody is looking for kind of a how to handle stress and like be kind of kind to yourself with life being tough, there are free podcasts from a woman named Tara Brock. That's B-R-A-C-H. And check those out. She's got nice talks that kind of help you tune into sort of philosophies that can be helpful for like how to work kindly with yourself, but also meditations that are like anywhere between like 10 and 20 minutes long. And it's good practice for helping yourself not be in a battle with your own experiences. So check that out if you could use something like that could help you not flip out on people at the movie theater yeah if it weren't for tara brock i probably would have <laughs> kicked the back of that woman's seat and been like what the hell do you think you're doing <laughs> i don't know all right all right well i guess if that is the end of the reel that'll be the end of this supersized episode of the show yeah and we will see you next week in film thanks for listening oh we're not judging movies not people anymore and and, and judge movies not people oh okay i felt empty for a moment there good point <laughs>